0: Hello church, my name is Jacob Garnett, uh, a lot of you have seen me at the door um, beating your kids in chess, um, hanging out with the Rise kids, but today it is my honor and like Chick-fil-A would say my pleasure uh, to bring to you uh, what God has shared with me during my time with him. So before we do that, uh, let me ask God for help and then we'll get to the word. Dear Jesus, uh, this moment right now is a reflection of your patience and your grace. I was the foremost and chief of all sinners, um, but you've brought me uh, to a position today to declare your word and to declare your goodness and declare your promises. So Lord, I pray that these things rest inside our people. I pray that your words are like a well that our people draw from daily and are satisfied and fulfilled by them. Please be with me as I speak these words, Jesus. In the way we these things. Amen. So, you might have heard me use a little word called chief of all sinners. Um, The reason why I say that is because it is a reminder for myself. So, when Donovan is speaking, you normally see him with tattoos on his hand. I don't do tattoos, but I don't think there's anything wrong with them. My tattoo is the imprint God has put onto my heart, which is saying, hey, this is where I brought you from. And when Paul speaks about that, he says it is a reminder to be an example of the grace and patience of God. Me, myself, um, I found a lot of pride in trying to find my blessing in the land, the things of the world. I tried to find my significance, my security, my joy, in everything that God could give me. Or not God gave give me, but the world could give me. Um, and it led to destruction, it led to nightmares, it led to drugs, alcohol. Um, but thankfully, God had mercy on me and shined his, his grace into my life, and he has changed me. And now I'm here, which is amazing. Today, I'll be speaking to you about Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. Now, I want to get into a couple nerdy things because I'm a nerd, but Donovan told me not to go too long, so I won't bore you with a lot of details. Um, but did you guys know that this wasn't written by Isaiah? yeah. This is written by Trito Isaiah, or like I like to say, Isaiah number three. So Isaiah number one, the book that the guy is named after, uh, he died uh, after like chapter 29. And this is during the Babylon captivity time. Third Isaiah lived post Babylon Exodus. So this is second temple period writing. So something really cool, something to look into. If you want to speak more about that, uh, know more about that, come find me. Also, this text is um, like the dress on Facebook, specifically the one that's like, is it green or is it blue? Does anybody remember that? Yeah, there's a lot of contention over that. So do theologians. They look at this like that dress, especially verses 17 through 25. The reason they look at it like that is because either they think it's a support for premillennialism, amillennialism, or postmillennialism. John Piper even scoffed at the idea of having to preach this when he was preaching about another message being like, okay, yeah, I'll try to get into that. And that just speaks to um, the vigor of this text. Now, the purpose of this text. If you're in your text right now, I encourage you to open your Bibles, turn on your phones, and go to verse 16. There's a big dichotomy that we see here today. I'm gonna read this for you. So that he who blesses himself... In the land shall bless himself by the God of truth, and he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. So, 17 through 25 is a poetic exaltation of the promises seen in 13 through 16. Third Isaiah is making these promises that he's getting from God to the people of Jerusalem, and 17 through25 is further um, promoting these promises. So what we're going to get into today is to look at dwelling in the land versus dwelling in God. And one important thing is to take into context of what I've been talking about: who is the author speaking to? And a great way and a great thing to practice when you're reading your Bible is to just make basic observations. What do I see here in the text? Who is the original audience? What is the principle the author is trying to get across? And how can I apply it to my life? And when we look at verse 16, we see this contrast of a people who are dwelling in the land and trying to find their promise in the land. This echoes the Abrahamic covenant The people of Jerusalem had a promise that they were going to enter a land dwelling with milk and honey. God was going to come down into pillar of fire and dwell with him. He did that in the first temple. Second temple, it wasn't there. So we're looking at a promise being made to a people who are longing to dwell with God, who are longing to hear his voice. 17 through 25 is a prophecy speaking to this longing, saying, hey, God is going to dwell with you again. But I agree with Spurgeon on this point that 17 through 25 isn't just about the future coming of the kingdom and the future promise of God dwelling with his people again. I think it's about him dwelling with us now. Spurgeon says, but the work which is spoken of in the text begun already among us. There is to be a literal new creation, but that new creation has commenced already. And I think... Therefore, that even now we ought to manifest a part of that joy, church. Spurgeon is saying there's a joy, there's a promise, there's a dwelling place with God that we can into, enter into now, and it's available to us. Furthermore, he says, If we are called upon to be glad and rejoice in the completion of the work, so the work to come, we're called to be glad in that, to hope in that, to be satisfied in that promise... Let us rejoice even in the commencement of it. This echoes verse 22. They should not build and another inhabit. They should not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Krista, as you were speaking this morning about just being fulfilled with joy and going into this time of missions, this is exactly what God wants for his people now to enjoy the work of their hands, to enjoy him now. Lastly, Spurgeon says, The Lord himself will joy and rejoice, and we who are in sympathy with him are exhorted and even commanded to be glad. Let us not slack in this heavenly duty. Spurgeon is lifting up this promise of God for us to be glad now. When we look at the text Verse 18 echoes this. There's a future gladness and a present gladness that we can inherit by dwelling with God. And I want to read this for you. Verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Gladness isn't just a feeling. It is also an attitude, which I think Spurgeon would agree with. Now I'm talking a lot about dwelling with God and how 17 through 25 is a promise of God dwelling with us. Now, where do I get this? Why do I say that? Well, verses 16 and 25, or 24 and 25. 16, we see Jerusalem, a people who are really trying to find their hope in the land. They want a physical place where God is going to dwell. That sounds a lot, a, a lot like works-based righteousness. But God is saying, no longer shall they find their blessing in this land. They're going to find their blessing in the God of truth, in the God of truth. They're going to make their oaths in the God of truth. They're not going to swear by their lineage or what they have or the type of tribe that they're from. They're going to make it in God himself. 24 and 25, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. And if we jump down to uh, the last verse of 25, they shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. As Donovan has been talking about, the Holy Mountain is a dwelling place of God, and I'm going to make an argument today about how this is available to us now and later. So what does it look like to dwell with God? That's exactly what 17 through 25 are. If you have your Bibles open, I encourage you to follow along with me. What we see in verse 16, we see the dichotomy. Dwelling in the land, dwelling in God. What does dwelling in God get you? Verse 17 speaks to all this. So, verse 17, we see newness. Verse 18, we see joy. Verse twenty, or 19, we see relief. Verse 20 is where we see triumph over death. I spent a lot of time studying, trying to figure this out. The ESV might be kind of confusing. But this is where death no longer has bounds on the human life. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Death no longer has a claim on us. Why? Because of dwelling in God. Nothing bad, death, sin is not with him. When we dwell with God, death does not have a claim on us. No more struggling. We see that in verse 21. They shall build a house and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat. They shall build and another inhabit I want to go to verse 25. You see, the wolf and the lamb shall grace together. The wolf is the enemy. The lamb is fear. In God's holy mountain, when we dwell with him, there is no more fear. There is no more enemy. Even Paul speaks to this in Romans when he says, neither heaven nor hell nor no weapon made against you can separate you from the love of God. Again, making this an echo of the things to come, but the things available to us now. And as you go through this, as you observe the different themes, one that really sticks out is the nearness of God. Verse 24, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. So when we think about the people of Jerusalem, their way to God was being in the temple through the priests. But this is showing us a completely different relationship. He's going to be near. While they are yet speaking, while the people are yet speaking, he will be near. So this is what it's going to look like, God to come. There's not going to be any more death, there's going to be joy, there's going to be relief, there's going to be newness, as we see in 17, there's going to be a new place for us. But how does this reflect dwelling with God now? I implore you to check out 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. So when we look at this piece of scripture, verse, chapter six, 65, verses 17, 20, 17 through 25, we have to take all of scripture into consideration when we read it. This is called biblical theology. It's a hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is a way to or interpret scripture. Christian words are good, sometimes hard to pronounce. So, when we use biblical theology, we're using all of scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, then it's okay. What does this mean for us today as a people of God? Well, it means that dwelling with God is available to us by being made a new creation. What comes with the new creation? Everything we see in 17 through 25. But unfortunately, since it's not fulfilled yet, we see it dimly. We look in a mirror dimly, and then one day we'll be, we will see face to face. So church, what does it look like to dwell with God now? Well, it's exactly the themes we see in 17 through 25. We're made new. We are forgiven, which I think really echoes verse 17, and the former things shall not be remembered. That is exactly my life. The way I orient myself now is not how I orient myself in the past. I used to be prideful, I used to chase things that were not healthy, and I used to dress in certain ways, listen to certain music in order to please the world and to gain things from the world. But now I no longer have to strive for those things. I have been forgiven of who I once was, and I've been made new. I have access to real joy. I don't have to try to study to go to med school because that wasn't my gift. But I struggled and struggled and struggled, and then one, God, one day God brought his hand into my life and said, take a break, man take a breath, let's rest, let's reorient and have faith in my calling for you. Krista, again, I'm just really encouraged by your faith in God to sell your house and say, yeah, I believe you. And church, that's what we need to be a people of, a people who are willing to lay down all we have, pick up our cross and say, yes, God, I trust you because I want these promises you have for me in Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. We're called to be fruitful. As you can see, we'll plant vines, we'll build houses And when we are made a new creation in Christ, there's a nearness to God. This is all of John 10. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. Church, that's verse 24 that we see today that we're going over. So again, that idea of biblical theology, using all scripture to understand what we see, there's a nearness to God that's available to us. He wants to be so close that before we call, he wants to answer. While they are yet speaking, he wants to hear. Now, the question is, how do we dwell with God? What does that look like? Is that coming to church on Sundays? Is that tithing? Is it opening my Bible? Is it changing what I listen to? Could be. Does the Spirit call you to those things? Are you willing to give those things up? Because if Jesus is calling you, he's calling you to dwell with him. An interesting story about this. I'm going through a calling lab with Dirk and Harrison Broquet. He's not here today. Um, and one of the questions said, what do you think your calling is? And in that moment, God gave me a word. He's like, seek the poor. And I was like, okay. And I asked God, I'm like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Is it like the poor in spirit? Do people need to be prayed for? Uh, do people need to be inspired, no, he's like, the disenfranchised, the people that don't have money, I need you to go to them, and immediately, my sinful self, that's not completely renewed yet, was like, no, Mm no, nope, 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 I just got done with school, I'm a school counselor, so the school year is over, my plan was to get prepared for today, and then play chess tournaments, that, that's what I wanted to do, and then God's like, no, (laughs) I want you to seek the poor. And so I wrestled with God, but then he said one thing. And he said, Jacob, this is where I am. Don't you want to be with me? In church, that's the thing we all have in common. Jesus said, Pick up your cross and follow me. It's a heavy cross, it's a burdensome cross, and it's a hard thing to do. But grace be to God, we're not in this alone. So, how do we dwell with God? Well, if we look at verse 16, a change needs to take place. We need to go from being a people who find their promise in the land and the things we can do in the land and who we are, how we dress, um, the significance of our last name, to finding ourselves in God, to be near God, dwell near God. That's how we inherit these promises that we see in 17 through 25. So 17 says there needs to be a new creation. What does Jesus say about that? Got to be born again, Nicodemus. You guys are watching The Chosen. This brings Nicodemus to tears. His promise is in being a Pharisee, the teacher of teachers. His wife even was like, No, that's blasphemy. Stay away from anything new. Like, this is who you are. You are from this tribe. You're from Judah, Jerusalem. This is your identity. But Jesus is saying, No, please, bury that. There's a term um, in the Christian community called burying your old man or burying your old self. Um, that's why I'm wearing black today, just to kind of represent that, it's not that I'm going to a funeral after this, I'm just daily burying my old self, it's a constant reminder to say, hey, we're no longer the old creation, there's a new creation coming, so what does Jesus say about this, well, John chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, truly, truly, this is when Jesus is being real, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Period. There's not a semicolon after that verse. You can look in your Bibles. There's not a dash. There's not a comma. There's not a parenthesis? No. What's the two dots? Colon. Thank you. There's not a colon. It dead stop there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. But Jacob, does that mean we have to be baptized? I read the commentaries. So, let me tell you about that. Um, it depends. I mean, on your theological orientation towards uh, John chapter 3, 5 through 6, being a Baptist, I would say no. Look at the, chief, or the sinner on the cross. Was he baptized on the cross? No, but he was given the spirit. He was given newness, given new life. What, Jesus, what I think Jesus means, and this is kind of what's in the literature. Again, I'm going to get a little nerdy. Sorry, if you need to, check your phone during this time. But <laughs> when Jesus says you need to be born of water and spirit, what was John the Baptist's uh, mission, or not his mission, but his ministry? John the Baptist, his ministry was baptizing people for a baptism of repentance in water. So what Jesus is saying, you need to repent. Take on John's baptism. We think contextually of that time. He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was like, dude, there's this dude stealing people. It's in the chosen, really drawn out in um, a theatrical type of way, but there's people following John the Baptist. And so, contextually, during that time, Jesus is saying, yeah, you do need to repent, but you also need the Spirit. Not just repenting of all the laws you made up or all the things you've been following. But in order to be made new, I need to dwell with you. And it's not that he's doing this as a service. This is his desire. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. For God so longed to dwell with man, he sent his only son. Why do we need to be born again, church? Well... We are totally depraved. There is nothing good amongst us. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. The world is dead. We cannot enter this new life, these new promises, according to Jesus, unless we're born again, if we're born of water and born of spirit. That is our diagnosis and our prognosis. We are dead, we need to be brought back to life. We need CPR, we need resuscitation, we need a doctor. And Jesus said, I didn't come to heal the healthy, but I came to heal the sick. And that's what we need. We need Jesus to come and dwell with us. A great illustration of this is Isaiah's reaction of being brought up and caught up with God. Woe is me, who uses that kind of language? Woe is me, when he sees the goodness of God, he is immediately convicted of his death, his everything that is opposite of God, how he found his blessing in the land. He is immediately seeing everything that he needs to be healed of. And this can only be done by the gospel in Jesus Christ. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell. Where does he dwell, church? In the midst of people of unclean lips. Again, this echoes verse 16. The one who blesses himself in the land versus the one who blesses himself in God. He's saying, I recognize where I find my blessing. I recognize where I find my hope, and woe is me. Please, please forgive me. And that's that baptism of repentance. Being able to say, oh yeah. Yeah, I have kept myself from God. Oh yeah, I have been denying his voice. Yes, I have not been seeking him. Please forgive me, make me new. So what happens in this illustration with Isaiah? Well, coal comes and touches his lips. And then the angel says, your sins have been atoned for. What does that mean for us? Well, we need a coal. We need our sins atoned for If you follow my argument, there's a blessing for us, for God to dwell in him, but there's one thing that separates us from that, which is our sin, our death, our our absence of life. And we need salvation. And this is the gospel, people. We are created to be loved, to be dwelt with. Jesus, our God used the imagery of walking in a garden with man, dwelling among man. There was livelihood, there was fruitfulness, there was abundance. Sin comes in, it separates us. And then man, what do we do? Verse 16, we try to find our blessing in the land, our joy, significance, security in all of creation. Jesus comes in, opens our eyes, moves us to repentance, and gives us a heart that can actually love him, gives us a heart that can trust his call, gives me a heart to lead my my wife and say, hey, we need to find time to go help the poor. I don't know why, I don't know what, I don't know where, but... God's there, and I want to be with God. I have to have the courage and faith in God to trust that and live in that. And that's the call for all of us, church, to dwell with God, to seek God. How does God dwell with us now? He dwells with us via the Holy Spirit. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, I loved hanging out with you guys. It was a great time. I don't want to leave you, so I'm going to send you my spirit, but it is good for me to go so the spirit can come in. So the Lord dwells with us via the spirit. One of my favorite verses is from John 14, and it says, if somebody loves my word and loves me, me and my Father will come and make our house in him. Church, God wants you to have a heart that loves him and loves his word, and he wants to come make a house in you. That is wonderful language. And what comes with that? Everything we've talked about in 17 through 25, forgiveness, newness, joy, no more struggling, no more distress, no more anxiety, because our hope is in the king of kings. So, church, I think Chris Renzima I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. He's an artist. He sings a song called Used to Be Mine, and he uses a garden-to-garden illustration. So his song is formed out basically by the gospel. One time, me and the Rise Kids, we took a look at it. We broke it down. We kind of went away and listened to the song and asked God to, like, reveal things to us. And what I saw, it was literally the gospel. We were created. We came away from God. Jesus came in, and then he planted a garden in our hearts. When we talk about dwelling with God... God's main desire is to dwell with his people. Revelation oops, 21.3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So in Chris's song, he's talking about the joy of God dwelling with us, the desire for God to dwell with us, and how he makes a way to do that. He covers our sin by the blood of Christ, by the sacrifice of that gruesome massacre of him on the cross, and that makes a way for God to come into our hearts via the Spirit, and he raises up a garden in our hearts. That is the most beautiful imagery I have ever heard till this point. So if something else comes up, that'll be great, but right now, there's not a lot that can top that, that God has made a garden in our hearts to walk with us and to dwell with us. So, We need to be born again. We need God in our hearts because this is what's going to lead us to fulfillment and joy and keep us from sin and death. And what do we do with this? Well, we look at Scripture to answer that question. John 15, what happens when we dwell with God? Everybody should know that verse from camp. If not, I implore you to look it up. It's really good. It's one of my favorites. So, John 15, when we dwell with God, we abide with God. I think abide is used 11 times in that verse. if you guys have heard uh, from your parents when you're in school, teachers repeat something when it's important. The word abide got repeated a lot in John 15. So when we abide, we bear fruit. And I think part of bearing fruit is sharing our joy that we have in being a new creation, in thanking God for saving us, in thanking God for giving us joy, real joy, not joy that we try to find and we struggle for in the world. And I think this goes really well with Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor. And I honestly think producing fruit means loving your neighbor and expanding joy. If you look at verse 22 again, they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. My chosen shall enjoy the work of their hands. When we bear fruit, we go out, we share the gospel. We love our, That's the best way to love our neighbor. Jesus says ultimate love is for somebody to lay down their life for another. Church, lay down the things that are keeping you from sharing the gospel. Have faith. Seek God's voice and go out and love your neighbor Share with others what God has done in you. Do you need to go to Greece? No, you can go right next door. And it's hard, it's tough, but let me encourage you in this. Here's my John Piper quote that will um, uh, make me official as a Redeemer preacher. I didn't have C.S. Lewis, I'm sorry, but I had Spurgeon, so I hope that counts. Piper, in regard to evangelism, he says, one of the basic premises of Christian hedonism is that the joy in God, which is our Christian duty, Spurgeon spoke about that earlier, we have a duty to enjoy God. The joy in God, which is our Christian duty, pursues uh, does not reach its climax in private communion with God. It, as, as Christians, we, we might be satisfied. You know, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I lead my wife faithfully, It's good. I feel joy. Piper's saying that there's more joy available, church. If we believe in eternal God, who is eternally joyous over us, isn't he going to pour that eternal joy into us? Isn't that available to us? So that is something we should be seeking, and Piper is giving us a way to get that eternal joy, and it means expanding what God has given you and giving it to others. Rather, it reaches its fullest extent only when it is compounded by the joy of seeing others share in it with us. If you guys have ever seen a baptism, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. You see somebody symbolically shedding their old man, which is that person of sin, the person that they used to pursue, and they're making a public declaration, I am going to follow Christ. And that's when they come up from the water anew, washed away. It's a very beautiful sight, and that brings us a lot of joy. Don't we want to see more of that? Don't we want to see more people up here baptized on Sundays? Don't we want to see other people come down in holy tears, repenting of the life that they lived before? That should be what we should be seeking, church. We've already had that. Now we can't be selfish with it. It's good to seek God privately. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We should do that daily. My uncle, who has the wonderful gift of evangelism, he likens to private communion with God like this. I I go to him like a gas station, but I'm always out of gas. He's just always there. That's good, to be in private communion with him. But it's good when we can go out and share as well. So, what this kind of reminds me of is being a uh, shiny, pa- shiny, happy people holding hands. Why do I say that? Well, Moses was a light bulb head. That doesn't get your attention. I don't know what else is going to get your attention. So, <laughs> Moses being a light bulb head, what does that mean? Well, after he threw his temper tantrum and broke the tablets, God was like, okay, man, we got to make new tablets again. Called him up to his mountain, Mount Sinai, the holy mountain where God dwells. He's like, I need you to dwell with me for 40 days and 40 nights and not eat. Some of us can't even go a couple hours without food. But Moses was willing to trust God and be like, all right, you'll be my fulfillment. And he was, he was fulfilled. And with that, he came down with a shiny face. Let me read this to you. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Verse 23, Isaiah. What is one of the promises we have? Before they will call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. This shows to the later kingdom, but what's available to us now, Jesus says we know his voice. We hear him. Church, we can spend time with God in his word, in prayer, hearing his voice, but what do we need to do next? We need to go down the mountain. It is wonderful to dwell with God. It is healing to dwell with God. When we have anxiety and traumas, it can be so relieving to spend personal time with God, but God's like, you gotta go down the mountain. There's there's people just like you who have a hurt, who have a pain, who need, who need you, who need me. And that's exactly what he gave. He, his face shone because of the healing that took place in God, of the newness that was created in him and the words that he brought down. So the reason I say he was a light bulb head and why we need to also be light, bulbs head, light bulb heads is because of Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. If you spend time with God, there is a light in you. John 1. Uh, Jesus was the light and life of man. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, what does that mean to us? We have to go down the mountain, we have to be light bulb heads, and let our good works shine. Let the things we know about Christ, let the stories we have about him shine out to others. We need to share those things with God. And now sharing the gospel can be really daunting. Ethan, can you raise your hand? I'm going to volunteer you. This man is a man after God's own heart. If you have questions about evangelism or need tips and tricks, he is the guy. He is going out everywhere and anywhere sharing the gospel, doing what he can. He's got more information on sharing the gospel than I do. Um, But I have a really simple method. Um, It's just straight up asking people, what is the gospel? I know we can order our groceries now uh, from Aldi, Hy-Vee, Walmart, wherever your your grocer is. Um, And it keeps us from being in lines, that's wonderful. But I guarantee throughout the summer, you guys will be standing in line. And when you find yourself in line, please, do not pull out your phone. This thing is an electric pacifier for adults. When we want to avoid awkward situations, what do we do? I'm going to check Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, are we we done yet? Okay. So, don't pacify yourself. Let this message reside in you. Guys, there's a light in you, which is what God has given you through the gift of his son on the cross. Turn to the person in line and say, hey, hey, Can I ask you a question? We're in Iowa. People are Iowa nice. They're going to be like, yeah, sure. Ask them, do you know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Use that name. Because when I've done this, I say, hey, do you know the gospel? I'll get responses like, yeah, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. I'm like, oh, yes, but no. So ask them, cool, thanks. Uh, What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then you'll get a plethora of responses. So my job that I think has been put on my heart is to ask this every time I go to the gym. I love going to the gym. I do it a lot. It's wonderful. But God's like, let's use this for my glory and not just to go here and move stuff around. And I was like, okay. So he implores me to go every time and at least ask one person. I'm about 70%, which I'm pretty happy with. Sometimes I'm like, eh, I don't want to, this dude's huge and not today. It's like the giant situations when the spies were scouting out the land. I'm like, no. So... We're not perfect, but church, I just want to one more time say that Jesus liked to party. Okay? He came eating, drinking, reclining at table, and what we are made to do are to be a people with an invitation. And that invitation is something we truly believe in. Something where we truly find our joy. We find our love. and We find newness. And we want to invite other people into that. So, Parties are a lot more fun on mountains when there are more people. And so I just encourage you, church, to come down from the mountain and share your dwelling place. And if you don't know who God is, or you're kind of confused about your relationship with him, uh, John Calvin made a good statement saying, we don't know who we are until we know God. So I implore you, if you feel like, yeah, I kind of want to go out and share now, but I really don't know about God, seek God. Talk to me about God. Talk to our pastors about God. We have a lot to share about him because we've experienced a lot in him. So church, come down from the mountain. Share your love in Jesus Christ. Thank you.